This is the Epic Brum Podcast, and in this episode, we're going to be discussing one of Birmingham's greatest bands, and one of my favourites too, Ocean Colour Scene, with the author of a new book who was right there with them during the glory days of the Britpop era. We'd like you to join in if you'd like to. Tony Briggs is the official photographer of Ocean Colour Scene, the Birmingham band who topped the charts during the 1990s. And Tony joined me to talk about Behind the Scene, a book compiling some of his best and previously unreleased photos of the band, which were taken during those glory years. Tony, thanks for joining us on the Epic Brum podcast. How are you? I'm good. My pleasure, Dan. My pleasure, mate. Yeah, good to see you. You too. It's, it's great to have you on. We're, we're making you a, an honorary Brummie for this episode because <laughs> we're, we're, discussing, we're discussing your new book, which is about who I believe is one of the greatest bands ever to come from this city. And that's, yes, uh, that, that's Ocean Colour Scene. Yes, uh, the book's called Behind the Scene, Ocean Colour Scene, Imagery and Imagination, 1995 to 98. So you've compiled this, this book, having had a, a really unique perspective of the band as their official photographer. So do you want to kick off by giving us a bit of a, an overview of the book? Yeah, I mean, the kind of title kind of says it all, really. But um, yeah, I was... Um, Lucky enough to um, work with the band exclusively just when they were just recording um, the tail end of one of the shows, right through to one from the modern. And um, yeah, I lived in Birmingham with them for a bit, sort of living in hotels and most of the shows and stuff. And um, yeah, it's just fantastic body of work. It's sort of half of it seems like yesterday to me, and half of it seems like 30 years ago, which it was. Um, and yeah, to roll back quickly, it's just this whole book project sort of started as a lockdown project, really. Um, and then once I went to the attic and gone through my um, archive boxes of sort of junk and stuff, I realised there was just so much stuff that fans hadn't seen. Great stuff. As you mentioned, it really hones in on Ocean Colour Scene's peak, which was during that Britpop era, which was personally my favourite era of music. And I guess perhaps while... People won't see them as being as big as Oasis and Blur and Pulp and Suede. They were right at the forefront of that scene. If you think of Marching Already went to number one and they played Nebworth and Glastonbury and you think of like TFI Friday. and Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think even, if, even officially they were kind of second at that time. They were just behind Oasis. You know, if you if you, if you distinguish by my record sold and, you know, they still held the biggest or the second biggest arena tour this country's ever had, I think. Um I won't say that. Um, yeah, I don't know why there hasn't been. I mean, part of the reason I did the book is that there's just a lack of stuff written about Ocean Colour Scene, really. I mean, um, so I've, now I've done this book, I'd love to do I think there should be a TV documentary, especially on Mosby Shoals, you know, like a classic album or something. I mean, I just think, yeah, they're, they're kind of unsung heroes of the artist. Um, I know for the likes of you and I, they, uh, they are as big as they are, but, you know, they. Um, it, I don't know, maybe they didn't court the music press as much as they they did and the Gallagher's had the sibling rivalry and stuff. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest, um, Dan, a lot of it is just love, really. I was working for the record company when they signed, so I, I know they were around before I met them and they've never been, you know, they still play today, they, uh, you know, they're still going strong. So I was just lucky enough to be around during their kind of, uh, you know, we caught the end of an era really with a massive album so before the digital age kind of wiped, wiped a lot of that sort of stuff out. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more, to be honest with you, as a, as a fan of that that era, that there, there hasn't been enough in print or in film, really, about ocean colour scene. Cause when Nothing, I, really, has there? Nothing. I mean, Simon's always been reluctant. I mean, he's he's quite shy, really, and um, I think he's been a bit reluctant to do anything. But I don't know why. I don't know if, I don't know if they've been approached or not. I mean, you can't turn the telly on that scene stuff about Liam and Oasis and stuff. And good luck to them, you know. But, like, you know, a lot of these 90s documentaries or pop shows that... Um, kind of cover a lot of the Britpop stuff. They kind of skim over ocean colour scenes. They don't get a lot of um, enough respect, I don't think. Yeah. I think just really, really part, part of the reason I did the book was just that the fans needed need something Yeah, I mean, even if, if you park the whole Oasis blur kind of subplot and and all of that sort of stuff of... of if you, if you watch these documentaries, as you say, even bands like Sleeper and Elastica and, and yeah, Cast, exactly. they, they, they get yeah. a lot of a lot of airtime, but but never never OCS. So I, know, I watched something the other day in Corner Shop on it. I mean, God bless them, they were great, but it was like two singles. Two singles, yeah, that's I mean, that, that's right. These number one albums and um, record after record after record, you know, and the, and the work that went into it. I mean, these lads lived and breathed it. They were seven day a week musicians, you know. To be honest, they weren't that interested in the photography and the videos and stuff, really. They were quite reluctant. I explained that a bit back in the book that bands today are, you know, in charge of everything themselves and you know, the social media and mobile phone cameras and stuff. Aren't they? But they were just always just, in, you know, they were just musicians. And they didn't really give you that much time. I think that's why we clicked um, early on and they kind of left a lot of their visual output to me because... They were just in, they were just in the music, you know. Yeah, and the the book is that nice mix, isn't it, of kind of behind the scenes shots, and those kind of staged shots that have come from 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 official shoots as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even the, the, that was the way I approached a lot of it. I mean, even like the orchestrated stuff, the kind of set up stage stuff, the photography is, is still kind of documentary and reportage. Really, um, a lot of the big photography, the, the nice photography shots I got out of them was when we were, you know, while they were recording videos or whatever. You know, it was difficult, but you had to kind of manipulate them into, into these pictures without patronising them. They had to be kind of, you know, you couldn't sort of, you know, the pictures were kind of documentary, really, reportage, if you like. Um, yeah, and I like to think they're all kind of stylized. You could tell they were all shot by the same fella. And Alice, my wife, they got the live stuff for me, with me. Um, yeah, and I think the um, yeah the book sort of really lays it out beautifully. I think, and you can see it's a really nice sort of body of work. Um, I've had some great feedback on, and the fans just love it because you know, they've been starved of that. Yeah, that's great to hear. Then, so if, if we can if we can go back a few steps, then if you if you don't mind. Yeah. So, how how did you first come to to, to get involved with the band? It was through through working for a, a record company. Is that right? Yeah, I was I was just a working freelance photographer, and I worked with bands all the time. I'd worked with Paul Weller and. Um, I'd done four, I'd shot work with, work with Porter's Head. And I was, you know, I was just a bread and butter photographer shooting, like I say, music and actors and comedians and stuff all the time. Um, and a designer friend of mine um, was given the most Michelle's design work and he needed, uh, you know, somebody who could a photographer who would fit for that. And, you know, me and Steve and Damon in particular, we're just like, from the, you know, cut from the same cloth, really. Same influences and same kind of Aesthetically. Um, so he introduced me to them. I went down and saw them at the gig, and we just clicked really. I invited them down to the studio and did a session. And from that session, they were that, that was like the first cover of the Ruby Bird song. Uh, the next session I photographed them, that was the cover of Moses Shoals. 
yeah, we just became mates and it snowballed from then. And, um, and as they got signed, their momentum became momentum. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know it's difficult when you're any kind of, of creative, and and if I can if I can call you that, and to, to go back and pick favourites of your your own work, isn't it? And you've already alluded to what a a huge body of work that this has been. But are, are there any Im- images in the book in particular that that bring back some kind of fond personal memories? Yeah, I mean, um, it's difficult because I'm, I'm, I'm so used to looking at the stuff for you know over the years. Going back and doing this book, we dug, dug a little bit deeper and found stuff that hadn't been seen before. So the cover of the book of the guys sitting around from the you've got a bad sleeve where they're just smoking and playing cards and stuff. That's going to be my favourite session. Um, so that's how that ended up on the cover. It's just funny that finding the negatives to that shoot, the beginning of the role of that film, was just pictures of my wife, Alice, uh, when she was my girlfriend, and my dog pissing about home. And on the rest of that film, is like the covers for you got it bad and stuff. So I also just went into the studio with a camera on my shoulder with the same role of filming it. That's how casual it was. It's just funny to me that um, these fantastic pictures were just sitting in the, you know, sitting in the There was no organisation there. The all in the loft, just chaos. And it's just a case of sifting through stuff and finding stuff. Um, yeah, so this all of the work in this book is particularly, well, I'd say half of it was unseen. You know, kind of new stuff. The fans will be very familiar to it. You know, all of the classic ocean colour scene art is in there. But, but it was nice when you say it's creative, because that's exactly what it was. It was, I kind of, um, you know, directed their videos and, and kind of, um, you know, nurtured their look a little bit. And, you know, Steve looked after most of the sort of visual stuff, but really, he left so much of it to me, he kind of trusted me with it. And we were just talking about, as we said, how underrated they, they were as a, as a band, but just to demonstrate how important and how front and centre they were to, to British music at that time. There's some lovely stuff in the book as well, some cameos from the likes of Oasis and Weller that we've, who we've already talked about with who they were kind of intrinsically linked at that point, weren't they? Yeah, they were right there with, you know, I don't know if you've seen the Fire and Skill stuff, but uh, that jam tribute was that when was it so Craddock and Liam did was it Carnation? Carnation, yeah, because uh, that was meant to be. Steve was saying that he was meant to be. Um, well, Paul wanted Steve to do that version of Carnation. Steve was like, no way, I'm not saying that's what Liam was not over. Yeah, Liam was going to do that. But Liam wasn't even familiar with the record, you know, so that's why he's holding the words up. But he's holding them like right in front of his face because he's got the sunglasses on. <laughs> it's just a brilliant day. Yeah, it was uh, just funny. But, uh, just to have that lot in the room. And you know, blokes my age, I don't know how old you are, done, but we're all kind of in awe of, of Paul and stuff. And uh, even Noel, it, Noel was a bit, but it's just so funny how um, Liam just takes a piss out of Paul. You know, it, made, it doesn't have the same kind of effect on the rest of them. Yeah. Liam's hilarious, he doesn't give a shit. Paul <laughs> <laughs> or not, he didn't, he didn't know the words and, uh, you know, it was brilliant you where you just uh dispelled some of the some of the some of the magic there a little bit but uh yeah i don't think yeah i don't think it comes any it's a great surprise at the same time yeah yeah um so i mean projects like this they do tend to work better when you've got cooperation with the, the sort of subject matter and you've got exactly that because steve craddock's done the forward i believe as well yeah isn't that, i mean that's what really spurred it on dan really um i always wanted to do the photography book and i was just going to do kind of a very designery just a pure photography book. I thought, uh, Pete designed this book, and Pete Kelsey used to design the uh, the album studios and the record studios. So it was kind of a joint project with Pete. Um, 
And then, I, again, maybe it was just in lockdown or having time on our hands, I asked Steve if he fancied writing the forward just to, you know, get his thing out there. Um, yeah, that's just, it was just such an, uh, a boost to have Steve offering to do that. Because Steve and Simon and stuff, they're so old school, they're so purist. I mean, Simon's never had a computer. He can't even use a smartphone anymore. Steve's reluctant to do any of that stuff as well. So Steve actually um, wrote his forward longhand on paper, sent me it tonight, transcribed it. Yeah, so we just kind of done this together. Um, Steve put his forward together and Pete and I designed it over a couple of months. Um, it's been about a, getting on a year's work, really, from when we first started working on it to people getting it in their hands this week. Hi, everyone. Dan from the Epic Broom team here. Just wanted to take a quick break to tell you that we've now got an Etsy store with three epic comic book posters available. We've got three brilliant illustration posters of Snobs, King Kong and 012121, all paying homage to our city. So if you'd like to get your hands on them, search for us on Etsy or click the link in our social media bios. Thanks for listening. Now back to the podcast. So you mentioned that they they did sort of leave a lot of the, the creative stuff to to yourself, and it, I mean it's a fantastic testament really to to you, your work and the relationship that you you had with them and how that's endured over a period of time. Because I can't get same on. Yeah, I mean again, uh, um, a lot of it. I mean, you know, it's just luck really. It's just um, they, I think they knew we had the same outlook on things mm-hmm. and we had the same things, and uh, yeah, it was just. Um, Maybe it was, I don't know if it was a mixture between them or laziness on their part or trust, but the, yeah, they just left a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason I mention that is because, I mean, you. <laughs> It's no secret that anyone who who follows bands knows there are there are boundaries and there are flashpoints from time to time, and it, it must be a de- sometimes there's got to be a delicate sort of balance of you want to get those kind of spontaneous bits when the magic's happening, but also you've kind of we're not worried about being intrusive, but there are sort of boundaries. Uh, as well. Is that yeah, especially with with the whole sort of mod set. It is you know you don't want to tread on anybody's foot. They don't want to. I mean. To be honest, being a photographer has always been a bit embarrassing to me. You know, photographers, a lot of photographers, you know, it's um, it's always, it's always been a difficult line to, for me to tread, really. But I say being a photographer because, you know, some photographers have just made cringe, so shit that come up. So a lot of my stuff was, was kind of um, a little bit of trust involved and left, just left sort of in the shadows. I don't know if you've seen my dodgy um, put together documentary scene. I've got like an, um, I used to have a camera on my neck and, and this little terrible quality TV camera back in the day. So I, I was in this tiny room, tiny little recording studios, when Steve was like, did, you know, let down that 100 mile high city riff. And I've got pictures and video of him, you know, these really intimate little moments of when these things happen. Um, and again, it's just really nice, a little bit of luck involved and trust on their part to have me in the room at the same time. And, Snapping away. I occasionally get Brendan Bollock and me because you can hear my camera talking well. But um, yeah, these are just fantastic little moments. And I just, you know, again, that all comes back down to why I think it's what we're doing. Yeah, well, it's, it's wonderful that they've finally got a bit of an airing, really. So. Um, as I said earlier, we, we've made you a bit of an honorary Brummery for this this episode. So if if I can, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your experiences of them in their their home city. Because their, their gigs here have always and still are a huge event. I mean, just last month they played a, a big one at the new Irish Centre just outside. Yes, there. I was meant to be there. I was hoping the book, my, this book was late getting getting to me. And uh, I was hoping to kind of launch it at that gig. 
Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And Steve said in particular that, um, I mean, even the logo never stopped giving. They did a recent, their last Barrowlands gig just the other week in Scotland. He just said it just blew, it blew him away. It was just um, you know, the whole room, you know, just bouncing off the walls, feeling the electricity. But yeah, I think I think I've seen colours in the back. Right? I mean, not that they ever went away, but I really do think they're, they're, um, they're back, you know. Yeah, are there, are, there, are there any sort of those hometown sort of shows that stick out um, for for you? Um, what from Birmingham? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the only shows I I was I sort of shot in Birmingham were the massive ones with the NEC and stuff. I mean, we always planned to do a video, you know, the better day video, better, better day video at Steve's house. Yeah, we were going to shoot that in a pub with Jug of Ale, um, which were. Used to play yeah, Mosley, it's sadly uh, not, I think it's a curry house now, unfortunately. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Um, but um, Oasis supported them there back in the day. And I thought it'd be really nice to have that sort of pub just at half empty for people not to be famous. And that was the original idea for better day, but we couldn't get that sort of time. Um, and I used to spend time up there, either spend at Damon's or Steve's or in town at the high or whatever. And um, Steve's house, you know, as it is in that better day, better day video, people were saying to me just the other day that um, they loved how it was staged with the piano and the records and the scooter and all this sort of thing. And, you know, asked me if I think how I set that up. And I didn't say anything. That's just his house. It's, really, that's, that's just what it looked like. He's got a scooter in the front room and the piano and the guitars and records everywhere. So we just turned up, put, put some lights on and turned the camera on. That's all we did. That's brilliant. It's just real, though, isn't it? It is exactly. Again, it's a documentary, really. I mean, it looks kind of staged, and although it's kind of planned, it's not staged. You know, it's just what they do. And I think we they only do sort of three takes, but then they all fuck off again. You know, <laughs> not really that interesting. They just sort of left it all down to me. You know, it's. Um, I mentioned the sort of Birmingham angle, so in the interest of fairness, because then uh, it's not just about them and sort of Birmingham. There must, I mean, you've, you must yeah. have seen hundreds of, of gigs over the, the years, thousands probably. What have you? Yeah. What's 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 the put you on the spot? What's the your favourite ocean colour scene? Yeah, um, I think about it. That is, it's probably a bit of a cliche and probably a bit obvious, but it's got to be Glastonbury '97 for me. That was um, I hadn't been to Glastonbury before since, um, and they were meant to be headlining. I think from I remember, um, I think it was a toss of the coin between them and Radiohead who went on. You know, ocean colours were certainly selling more records then. Um, Marginal already was number one I think, at the time. But that, we're coming out in front of, you know, 200,000 people. That was incredible. I've never seen anything quite like that. You know, just the ease in which they do it. Wouldn't they? Nerves or stress, and they just come out and they like, just that was, And just sit on the stage with them and film that and shoot that. That's going to be the... Yeah. It's funny you say that bit of look, actually, because that, that Radiohead gig... Is is the Glastonbury '97 that is talked about year after year when Glastonbury's on and it's gone down in, in folklore and it and it could have been, it, 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 it could, have, could have been ocean colour scene. Really, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, for what reason? Just their performance. Yeah, it's just one really? of those. It's just one of those. It gets mentioned among the sort of iconic Glastonbury really? performances like Pulp in '95 right, yeah. and Bowie in 2000 and so on and so forth. It, it always gets sort of mentioned really, in yeah. that. So. I never really got. I never really got Radiohead. I mean, I was too young and sort of stuck in my ways of being a little kind of mod urchin. But um, yeah. I've come to appreciate Radiohead a bit more now. But uh, we didn't even stay around watching the artists fight. No, <laughs> <laughs> didn't even stay around. We just in and out, you know. Yeah. I mean, I was um, 
you know, backstage, that was that really wet Glastonbury, you know, where everybody was just flooded out and never stopped raining and muddy and stuff. And Ray Davis tipped up and we had some pictures of Ray Davis and Pete Townsend and we were just like, it was fantastic. Really wet, nothing to do with it. No, no, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, did you do Nebworth as well? I didn't. I was on another job. Alice and I had another job elsewhere. I can't even remember what the other job was. And uh, I just couldn't make it, you know, get again with hindsight. That's a shame. But, uh, that would have been a big chapter of the book, wouldn't it? Well, uh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, what a, what a uh, again, you talk about scam. You know? No, no, I was, I was, uh, I, I was only... I was twelve years old, so yeah. So I was, uh, yeah. I'm a bit of a. I was a kind of a, uh, a late bloomer for Britpop, but uh, yeah, it was my. I was. I was just getting kind of into discovering music around then. So yeah, I was a bit young, a bit too young for Nebworth. So yeah. it, it's funny um, you're saying that because uh, a lot of a lot of the fans of the guitar are kids again, the young young fellas and young girls of those girls and kids, which is um, fantastic to see. And a lot of people have bought the book. They're just youngins as well, you know. It's, um, I mean, a lot of people kind of your age that thought the group pop, you know, fresh right at the start. A lot of guys my age for nostalgic reasons and everyone that got married and had kids and stuff. But yeah, a lot of people bought the book that just um, are young kind of uh, connoisseurs of fresh colouring and music and stuff. Fantastic. Yeah, a friend of mine took his his teenage daughter to the Irish Centre the the other week, and uh, it's great. Yeah, it's great. great. It gets passed on, and it, it, the music sort of endures through those those generations. So, yeah, amazing. I yeah. mean, they're probably all expats anyway. But I've sold this book to Japan, Hong Kong, all over the states. You know, Australia, New Zealand, all over Europe, loads of Scotland and Ireland. But it's amazing. They've really, um, yeah, they've still got fans. There's a lot of love for Russian country. Yeah, we well, just mentioned Scotland and the, and the Barrowlands as well. You you mentioned earlier, and that they, they, their following up there seems to be oh, so so loyal. Um, I think it's just from the early days when I should colour scene. They Steve actually mentioned in his, in his forward that they had a, a kind of provincial tour booked in Scotland, just playing sort of pubs and nightclubs, and then mostly Shoalsbrook, and they were a massive band on top of the pop scene. So the promoter thought they'd pull that tour, but they you know. Being the guys they are, they said no, they're still doing it. So this like big, highly publicised band were playing just pubs, just pubs. And um, Steve was saying they were just climbing through the windows and all the rafters and the, on the speakers, and the places were just, were just packed. And um, maybe that was part of the reason that the, the, the Scots sort of fell in love with them so much. It must have been amazing. That was just before I met them. Well, Tony, it's been fantastic to, to talk to you. Yeah, to, thanks, for, 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 for me personally, it's a real labour of love being able to talk about things to people like yourself yeah, about, exactly. about these things and um just a couple of bits of it, important bits really that I, I wanted to finish on it's behind the scene it's out now where can people go to to pick up a well, that's the trouble isn't it Dan? because you know you've given me this lovely platform to to publicize it and there's actually not that many left i mean i probably i've probably only got 100 books left the um because it was kind of a kickstarter crowdfunder that um you know you had to sort of be part of it to, to get it known but um, anybody who hasn't any, you know, anybody who hasn't got the book, just get in touch with me at um, through my website, tennyboots.com. Drop me an email. Okay, brilliant. So you, you heard it. Yeah, we really, really are down to just a few boxes of them. It's been great, you know. That's, so, that's great to hear. Well, you, you heard it there. Then if you're listening, get in touch. Yeah, quick. I won't do another one because yeah. it, really has, it really has been a labour of yeah. the work involved. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been great. And the fans are fantastic. And I just get everybody who's received it. It's, um, 
Amazing. Well, I was going to finish by wishing you good luck with it, but it sounds like that's uh, yeah. we've kind of got that past yeah. that point, which is amazing to hear, really. So uh, I'll just leave you to say to Tony, thank you uh, once again, and it's been, been great. great to chat to you. Thanks, Dan. We'll get talking. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Epic Brum podcast. You can hear more episodes on all the major listening apps. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Epic Brum HQ.